0: This is Heavy Radio 53. Marco and Eric here rocking, and we have nope. an amazing guest joining us Chris Caffrey from Spirits of Fire, actually out now. I'm looking at this record, this badass album cover here Embrace the Unknown.
1: What's up, Chris? I'm embracing the unknown. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a good. It's, it was it's like a g- week ago, <laughs> a week ago it was seventy degrees and I think tomorrow it's gonna be twenty two. <laughs> I, I don't know anything. That's why I'm still on my I'm still in my winter hat and it's almost <laughs> April and I'll probably be in it in June because that's how our global warming isn't too warm right now, so. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, what what else are, do you have going on right now?
0: We got this Embrace the Unknown Spirits of Fire record uh, just came uh, out.
1: I've been just getting a lot of that pressing stuff done for that, and now I kind of, it's weird because I, I want to do another solo record, and the reason why I didn't really have anything written for my solo record until now is because whenever I write, Two records at once everything starts to sound the same so i really wanted to keep spirits away from my record and then get to my record and then i just got lazy on starting on my record and then last year Aliva had hit me up about trying to write a couple things with him and, and just getting some stuff put aside for sabotage if something happens i don't have the slightest idea if or it's a is or isn't happening i i just i was asked to give some stuff so i'm like all right i don't want to write my solo record while i'm writing that either so i did that and then the tso tour happened and then all the spirits pressed and i'm like all right well now i can decompress and start to write and it's just it's not that it's been really slow i'm just kind of like all right well now exactly what direction do i want with my own stuff i mean it's it's a lot different when i sing obviously because i can throwing any kind of style I want, but I just don't want to be sitting here and going, okay, well, I'm going to write this song that sounds like Sabotage or this song. So it's like I'm trying to really kind of focus on um, just getting something probably more along the lines of the Faces record again, where everything's a little bit different. And just, But I'm, I might do a little more instrumentals this time because I never really did that. I'm, my, you know, I'm a guitar player who did soul records singing. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, you and say, it you and then I, young, then I, then I was records. like bored right. and, and working on a, a a country song called "Pain in the Ass" the other night, which is really funny. So <laughs> that's what I was doing, and, and and uh, you know, I actually had the it's funny I had the idea for this song, I think probably when I was doing the Pins and Needles record, and I never finished it, and for some reason. The other night I just decided to start throwing down some tracks for it. And I was like, this is probably the funniest set of all the because I have a couple of those funny lyric songs that pisses me off. The Yeah, we cranked that. You gotta oh, be that- fucking kidding me, the sick of this shit. And I was like, oh, I have pain in the ass too. And this song is I don't know I think out of all four of them it's probably and it's funny to say it though I think it's probably the most commercial because it's just funny in its country so we'll see I'm going to finish it and and probably release a version of the single just because I I think it's that funny I finished the last verse today and I was Cracking my, I don't know, maybe I just think it's funny, but I was cracking myself up. So
0: nice, <laughs> I, yeah. I was I was actually managing a, a student radio station when that album came out, and the pisses me off was on there, and I cranked that, and yeah, I just think that, that's actually a pretty. It's funny how it's like humorous, but it sounds really angry, and I think it, yeah, it just I think works.
1: If, <laughs> if it pisses me off if not to be overconfident about what it would have done, but if, if that had a major label push behind it that song would have been humongous because i didn't even have really a label in the states i was working with that greek label and they were kind of mm-hmm. working very thin with that the end records that were just kind of getting off the ground in america at that time having a any kind of distribution or anything or whatever they were doing and that thing just wound up hitting radio here and there was top 40 rock stations that were making their own edited versions of that song that it was going like top 20 on their channel. and if it had an actual push because it was just that that kind of funny it's one of those ones that i i hope for myself and everything i hope one day like somebody will throw it in a movie soundtrack or something like that because it's just that that kind of a song it's funny so those things for me are fun to do because i grew up listening to you know a lot of zappa stuff and i would. I'd listen to Howard Stern basically almost every single day of my life. So <laughs> you know, humor and that kind of thing has always been a big part of how I handled a lot of stress in my life. It was always a big thing with would sabotage to the guys and the band. We would go on the road and just watch things like Caddyshack and, and everything over and over again and Eddie Murphy Delirious and things like that <laughs> on, on loop. And we would go about our days speaking languages of lines from these movies nobody <laughs> yeah. would, unless you knew what we were talking about you would have no idea that we were like quoting austin powers who are like these that. who are these crazy we do that.
2: yeah we uh, we know that very well you gotta get <laughs>
1: yeah. your <secret> language going <laughs> yeah like too many people take a lot of things way too seriously it's like i mean it's it's i'm not saying you don't know, take life seriously but you know we uh we have so many things in our lives that are pushing us to the edge all the time that it's, it's good to have some of these other things to, you know, to calm it down. And, and I, I think that some people actually even, you know, they tend to take their, their music a little bit seriously sometimes, but that's yeah. all right.
0: Yeah. Uh, on heavy radio, we like to go back to, to like the roots. And when do you remember uh, maybe when you first cross paths with some heavier Kind of music or rock and roll or like what was it for you one of the early experiences that got
1: you on that path well it was funny for me because i got a, a little turntable as a kid and you know my parents had gotten me a couple beatles records and you know i always liked the heavier whatever was the heaviest song i could find revolution or, or whatever it was there i mean i thought all those songs were great, but when you heard the, you know, Sgt. Peppers or anything, it was a little bit heavier. It was always exciting for me. And that's what I think started to turn me on to guitar. I I didn't get exposed to anything else. I mean, we really didn't have radio then. We didn't have television that had too much music on it. So it was kind of like, what do you get for your friends? And what, you know, what your friends give you at age four you know (laughs) we really weren't listening to that much music and then my next door neighbors bought me wings over america for christmas that triple live record and that Mm -hmm. was the first time i think i really heard heavy music in my own little territory you know i had that triple live record and that's to me still one of my favorite records of all time that three record record thing because amidst those three albums there's so many different styles of rock than hard rock and and you can even say it pushed to you know heavy metal with with how those some of those songs were like rock show and things like that i mean those were those were metal songs in my opinion and then you know we had seen and heard about kiss it was like oh there's this thing that was kiss and, and you heard about it and i i would rake leaves and and make money doing that kind of stuff. And my parents didn't really have that much money. So things I wanted, I had to get myself. And me and my older brother, who was the drummer in my band when I was a kid, I forget exactly how old I was when we did this. I might've been, I would say probably seven, I think. But we saved up and um, on the same day, I bought Kiss Alive and the first Boston record. In the same day that was the first two records That's that i bought with oh, my yeah. own money which is a pretty good day you know and um <laughs> i think my brother i should have known then i should have got the warning my brother thought kiss was a little noisy and i loved kiss alive i thought it was to me it was like it was like a freaking dream hearing all that stuff be exactly like what i liked and um you know from there it just kind of Everything went in that direction. I just kept looking for the heavier things. And when you you bought records, you would try to find that. You know, then I discovered Ted Nugent and I discovered Triumph and Rush. And you now my brother liked Rush, but he was going more towards Yes and Return to Forever and things like that. And I was, you know, looking for Triumph and Saxon and Maiden and Sabbath and Dio and you know, Alcatraz and and all these kind of things. And, you know, when oh, yeah. we were when we were doing our bands, I think at first it it seemed like it was really going to work and we had trouble finding a singer really because back then, I don't know if you guys remember, but once like Halford and Dio hit music, everybody was looking for an amazing singer. You know, <laughs> you had to have the greatest singer on the planet and I, I was like a closet singer. I wanted to sing, but they never thought I was good enough to do it and I kind of thought like singing was something that you were born with so I didn't realize that I could have taught myself how to sing. I didn't know that. And that's what I learned when I did my solo records. And I was like, man, that was probably pretty stupid because I, with the image I had, could have entered into that whole 1986 to 92, you know, LA, New York, MTV world as a front man. And I mm, totally, I, I probably would have been really successful did you know not saying if that, that would have changed my my life that much but it was probably something I just wish I would have had that opportunity to do but you know knowing me I I probably would have freaking <laughs> I, I probably would have died by now too so <laughs> yeah you know, you know. It's, it's like I got into sabotage and then you know my brother was really depressed about that and at that point in time I think everybody you know when you're a young kid you think you know the business but back then the business was completely different you never saw somebody in two bands it was extremely rare for anybody to be in two bands ever yeah. especially you know was... successful bands because then it was like you were cheating
0: yeah still in the you know like 90s you were... early 2000s that was a yeah. big deal with metallica and jason newstead like that was a I whole mean, it's like a whole positive. drama
1: they didn't throw Ozzy out of Sabbath and then have him in Sabbath while he was in Ozzy. He was, you know, that's yeah. what you that's how you did what you did. So I left Sabotage to try to work with my brother and it didn't work. And I should have just stayed in Sabotage. And there's a couple of things that really sucked about that because I lost the last few years of Chris Oliva's life. And I also lost the opportunities to be in things like that streets cover and things where you know a lot of the sabotage fans tend to you know make us the holy grail and you know to some people you don't mean anything if you're not on that cover it's like well, I had 35, <laughs> 35 years in that band and i put oh, in yeah. I, I had more I think, shows uh, no. i had more shows in time than than people that are on that cover but i mean it, it's not that that i'm trying to do competition for that but i definitely dedicated a lot to sabotage and to me it just broke my heart not to be a part of that thing because I, it was my decision not to and it, it was one of those things but i got back got back into it. I should have, like I said, there was some warning signs. The uh, There was a record that was called Metal Massacre that came out, and that had Metallica and Megadeth and some other things on it, and before they were even had record deals. And I loved that stuff, and my brother hated that stuff. And we'd be <laughs> writing riffs, I'd be writing songs, and he'd be like, ah, oh, that sounds like that Metal Massacre crap. So it's another thing to think about it that I was writing that genre when that genre was starting. So it's like, you know, you never know where my career would have went if I started a band like Metallica when Metallica was starting. It's like I, I could have launched something singing and playing guitar that was that heavy too. So there's a lot of, there was a lot of weird, if, what ifs that happened for me at that point in time and things, you know, I can't complain about, where things went. I mean, I wound up being in, in, in sabotaging TSO and, and still oh, yeah. part of that whole family. So my career definitely yeah. went in a great direction, but it's like, I can't really answer what may have happened if I did the different <laughs> moves, especially when I found out exactly how versatile my voice was, because, you know, I could have easily sang that kind of music and I didn't realize it so it was kind of like fuck because <laughs> yeah. now now when you sing as a guitar player you get that singing guitar player reputation. <laughs> they never want to take you seriously and it, and that happens for a, a lot of singers you know people like freaking Ricky Cot Richie Cotson they'll be you know not even giving him credit as a singer and the guy can sing as freaking good as fucking Cornell I mean it's like you know the once you picked up and did one thing people always like <laughs> trying to look at you as that it's like it's great singing but you're a guitar player it's like um, <laughs> i have a barking german shepherd he's, he's, got he's the so sorry he's
0: actually
1: in, he's in the other room watching television there's if probably, i
0: if there's i remember right when, uh, when we had um, jeff when we had jeff probably a dog on.
1: commercial on <laughs> hey <Yeah. come> here <laughs>
0: <laughs> if I remember right, when we had Jeff played on, I think maybe, I think it was him. One of his animals made a guest appearance too.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, him, if there's commercials with animals, and he's a German shepherd, so he's way too smart. <laughs> he'll, he could be like, now he's in this room with me and, and the TV's on in my studio room. A commercial could come on that he knows there's going to be a dog in. <laughs> and he'll run in there and start to wait for it to appear and i wouldn't even remember that that dog was in this commercial <laughs> i've got a better short-term memory than i do
0: but. uh speaking of that time period i think it was like 87 88 was that the first touring you did with sabotage it was like dio and megadeth on a tour
1: yeah that was the first like full actual tour i did i did a, a few little th- um bits with heaven but that thing was kind of ending at that time so there really wasn't anything set. There was a West coast run. It was, I think five dates we did out there. And uh, I think warrant had opened up for a bunch of them would say it just gotten signed. And I remember going to one of their house parties out there and that was kind of overwhelming for me because I it just turned 18 and I also just got, that was my first plane flight ever. I flew out to California and, and um went to the sunset strip and saw that you know back in in 87 when it was you know at its peak basically it's oh, it, glory it was crazy and i saw that and i played uh you know the whiskey in the country club in those places with heaven and that was um my first kind of actual little tour and then i got back and paul had put me out with sabotage so i was 19 and and got to do that arena tour and that's when uh, I got on the road with the Olivas and <laughs> John Oliva. Like, basically, I was a kid who never drank in school. I never did anything. I got on the road with John Oliva and everything changed. It was just like <laughs> my life changed, but it was awesome. I mean, that, those guys were my brothers. And it was like we we definitely had a, we gelled musically and as people. So that was just kind of how that, you know, I became, basically became the third Oliva, you know, <laughs> at that point mm-hmm. in time. It was it was one of those things. I hung out with John all the time on that tour. And um I saw some of the funniest things. I mean was, you know <laughs> I, a little kid, I can only imagine. <laughs> a little kid watching some amazing amazing things. you know, John and, and Mustaine and, and all those just what I what I got what I had a chance to experience then. It was it was definitely I don't want say with wake up call. I was just like a, oh, Holy shit, this stuff is real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And just to
0: be part of the Dio, the Dio majesty as well.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. No, I, I, I love anything Ronnie was doing. I mean, I remember wandering around the local mall and when I picked up Holy Diver on a cassette with a boom box, like blasting it, walking through the malls, I was a huge, you know, heaven and hell and mob rules and rainbow fan. and, and, i i loved the the dio stuff and i actually almost had gotten into dio a couple times i was really close and me and ronnie had spoken a bunch of times about me eventually doing a record with him which kind of stinks because that's like one thing that's on my bucket list that'll never be filled you know i got to tour with him again with with tim with the last heaven and hell tour in europe but i never got the chance to do that record with ronnie and i i told i remember telling simon right on that um Ripper tour because he was playing drums with Ripper on that I, I yeah. was like I know I can can write a really good Dio record I just I knew I could because it was such a huge part of my soul and my influence that it wouldn't if, if there wouldn't have been an effort to do a, a really good Dio record for me it would have been fun and easy.
0: Yeah, hell you
1: know yeah. Uh, we'll we'll get into our
0: heavy radio tracks, but we'll keep the conversation going just as we kind yeah. of weave in and out. Um, my first track is coming from this. Embrace the unknown came out this year, two thousand twenty-two. Just a hot off the press, and the track is "Into the Mirror." And uh, what was it like working on this record for you?
1: This record was a lot different than the first one and a lot this is the same in so many ways because we all were working in our own little worlds and sending things to each other which was kind of the same thing we did on the first record but the first record everybody was kind of busy doing other things so it was a little I think it was a little more difficult to get everybody to get the time to put onto all their stuff for it I mean even with Ripper you know he was asking me to write lyrics and melodies for the first album and the first four songs on that record I wrote entirely, you know, and I didn't want to do that with this one. I wanted to have it be more of a band. I didn't want it. If I'm not singing, I don't want to write the singing because then I start to make it sound like a solo record because I have my riffs and my melodies in my head and what I hear. So I sent the uh, the music out. I think I sent out 18 songs and the producer Aldo had picked um 11 of them at the time. And and we were originally working with Todd Hall on the record, but Todd at that time he was on the voice and he couldn't really even commit to anything else. And then, you know, I think because if he won that they would have had him doing other things past that. And then he had, I think his brother passed and some other things going on. So he really wasn't able to put the time into the record that um, he thought was going to be worthwhile for us which he was a real gentleman about it but um he's like i don't want to leave you guys hanging but you know which is why i'm gonna walk on this now and and he left us hanging but now it was um it was okay i mean i had some ideas of who we could use and frontiers had the idea of using fabio and and i was like fine i mean if, if me and steve and mark were just like you know whoever we get they have to be able to sound right you know and, and it was kind of the most i think the biggest surprise with this album was how well fabio did metal you know it, oh, yeah it, he definitely
0: hit some some peaks that were put in place by i think there's some halford and dickinson territory
1: he had fun with this and that's why i really enjoyed the first time i got to hear you know the finished versions of these songs were some of these melodies were the very first time I heard them. And that was a difference for this record too, because I'd written the songs and recorded all my tracks to a click for the last record. And then the drums and bass were done after that. And Ripper stuff was done here. And for me, you know, I love Mark's playing, but once he recorded to me on the clicks, I was like, man, I'd love to change how I played my guitar around that drums. Cause some of the beats I thought he kind of took away from what I had heard as straight four in my head, you know, and he would go and, and throw this cool kind of progressive drums around it. And it's not like he really killed the riff or killed the song, but in my head, I'm like, okay, I could have played this guitar part to marry that drum beat a little bit different. And that's what I did with this record. Whereas I, I gave him the demos and then he did his drums and then I did my guitar. So I was kind of practicing to his drums and then recorded my guitar. So it was, I think more of like a rehearsed kind of a band feeling. So when some people have told me that they think this record sounds more like a band, I think that's the reason because these songs were kind of in their own weird way were in other parts of the world doing them, but there was more time to work on everything, you know, and. Steve had more time to do his stuff and his bass on this record is insane. And it—it just, I think to me, that's, that's the major difference. I think this, this sounds and feels more like a, like a band on this album. Oh yeah. Um, Eric, what's your track for the playlist?
2: Yeah. Um, This one's Sabotage. Uh, It's called Does It Matter Anyway? Um, From your first full record with the band. And I picked this one. I just I thought it was not I just flat out love the song, but also it has, I feel like it's a good example of what you guys could do with just all the different moods you can put into a song, all the different vibes. Like it has like a, a fun to it. Um, still straight up metal throughout. I thought it was a really good example of um, what Sabotage can do apart from other bands in the genre. So I wanted to get uh, doesn't matter anyway on the playlist
1: yeah that's a that's a really cool song that was one of the i think it was only two songs on that record that oliva sang but um it was funny because he borrowed our riffs from don't talk to me on the butcher record kind of for that song if you mm-hmm. notice doesn't matter <laughs> anyway it's like dude and then butchers nah, 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 nah. it's I was like, John, you ripped all. You know, he had that riff for sabotage. So was, that, was that
0: basically probably the first song that you helped write for sabotage without even yeah. really meaning to?
1: Exactly. And then of course I like, <laughs> didn't even get any credit for it, but that's all right. That, that's all right. <laughs> actually no. The first song I ever wrote, there was some a couple little riffs and pieces of things that wound up even on the on the streets record through with John just little things that he would kind of take and I'd be like John you don't remember that I wrote because a lot of times I don't think John even remembered that I was playing <laughs> never mind what I wrote he would, when we were living in the same apartment we'd get up the next day and I'd hear him in the room working on a song and I'm like I wrote that riff last night he's like oh you did sure. like, yeah. we had a, a butcher song that was called living in hell and the chorus of that song wound up being the guitar solo section of Taunting Cobras. Oh I was, shit. John, yeah. I was like John, that's, <laughs> that's my riff. It's <laughs> guitar. Solo. Oh, I forgot about that. And then there's a whole song on um John, one of John's first John was Painter or, or Taj Mahal, whichever one I think, you know, it, it was a song that was our title track for um for Poets and Mad Men that uh, is on that record it's yeah <laughs> got a, few, a few of my riffs on it but it's just always fun i don't i don't care about it it's just kind of w- funny with that and also another cool thing about doesn't matter anyway it's one of the only songs i mean i think commasar has both of us doing some lead stuff in it but doesn't matter anyways one of the few songs when we were do when we did the records with al it was usually either al or me playing um lead on them and and the dead winner dead record was kind of cool because um the song dead dead and doesn't matter anyway had solos from both me and al on it so it was it was cool that the both of us were playing together on those songs and the, the little licks and leads were ones that we had and we were trading so that was that was cool and that was when we did live on the, that tour it was always a fun song and a lot of that was the reason of being able to bounce back and forth with Al. Oh yeah,
0: and we'll weave right into it. My next track is from Dr. Butcher, The Chair. And this was just always one that that so what I loved about that record is it just sounded like just unhinged, basically sabotage, like old school, but also like just just letting it rip. And this one is just an epic track like from the concept to the way it builds up
1: uh, Dr. Butcher with the chair. Yeah that um that was actually Paul O'Neill's favorite song on that record. And that uh and you know, I actually wanted Paul to produce the Butcher record. And John didn't but John told Paul that I didn't and it it, <laughs> it wasn't me. You know, John wanted to do something without Paul at the time and it wasn't me. I was like, "John, if we do something without Paul, it's not going to you know, that's not gonna go over that Paul really wanted to be involved with it. And I didn't want Paul not to be a part of it. And but that one song was the one he liked the most. And I, I think Paul was blown away when I talked to him because he was like, Oh yeah, the the chair song that that uh I think there might have even been a time that he said John wrote the music for I was like, Paul, the chair one hundred percent every single riff is mine. <laughs> and I said, really i said yes i said that that song is 100 musically the whole entire song be the intro the middle the set, every it was a butcher record we had written a bunch of stuff together on that there was some some of the songs that musically were me and john like does you know like don't talk to me and you know reach out and torment someone and 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 um even the altar the um the altar was actually written musically on the Gutter Ballet tour. And me and John were writing that song and that one riff that is that's an Oliva riff. And we wrote the altar to be a song that was gonna be on what was gonna follow up Gutter, you know, which a lot of us in the band at the time wanted to go back towards the Mountain King sound. And Paul introduced the idea of doing streets into and putting the story and going more into the theatrical way. So there was, you know, a little bit of a creative battle that people don't even realize that was going on that time about where Sabotage was going to go. And I think if Sabotage would have went in that really heavy direction, that band might've, you know, went to a level, huge like Pantera level in the metal world. But, you know, it's not that it hurt where Sabotage eventually went. It just took things longer and kind of went in a different direction. But, you know, Paul really loved the chair. The chair me and John had actually written about, oddly enough, we, we wrote it kind of, we were inspired by O.J. Simpson and that whole trial at the time by that, you know? And yeah. that's why the intro for that song, the little acoustic part was called mm-hmm. Juice yeah i did actually i never
0: put that together that's, I, that's why
1: awesome. that was called i thought I,
0: I thought maybe you know just giving it the electricity no, you i don't know. think
1: anybody ever put that together <laughs> i don't even think i ever said this <laughs> in interviewer or put here that i got there and um john wrote most of the lyrics and melodies of that song and i wrote actually the uh The, the middle section, a lot of that you know I remember the chairs of my past now this one will be the last that section was a lot of my lyric and melodies of, of that thing but um that that song is really pretty brutal. Yeah, That'll totally something. we I think that record definitely probably
0: hits that realm you were kind of talking about. like it sounds like you know it's in the vein of sabotage, but it's just really heavy, really dark uh, just brutal.
1: Yeah. I think the solo at that, on the end of that song, I think is triple track. I think I played that oh, shit. solo three times at the end of that song. And, and uh, yeah, that's a really, that's a really fun tune. That was butcher, whole butcher record was a lot of fun. We had a lot of songs written and we had a very small budget. And we also, when we got to deal, the demos were recorded with, with um, Gene Barnett playing, drums. The drummer from 30 Looks was actually in Dr. Butcher, and so was Hal Patino. And, and, you know, Gene was not in the band when we got the deal. John Osborne, Ozzy, was in the band then. And his drum style and his abilities at the time, even Ozzy, was still trying to learn. It. And some of the songs, he wasn't really able to get. We could have gotten tracks from him, but not under the budget we had we had to get everything basically recorded in a week so we picked the songs that were going to be easiest for ozzy to get done kind of quickly like the song inspector highway was way too musical and weird and involved and orchestrated for for ozzy to to get that quickly so that never made it and you know like the the help police song and and even born of the board and some of those other songs were just a little bit too involved and even production wise in those songs what would have needed to have been in them for us to get finished in a week so we picked like you know we had great songs on that record but the first butcher record some of those songs in that demo might have wound up on the record if we would have had a larger budget and the time to be able to produce some of them but yeah uh eric and i had an amazing night when
0: it was at the civic center in des moines iowa Mm-hmm. And we went to see TSO live, which was awesome just seeing, you know, people with these kind of instruments playing at this venue where we've seen, like, uh, you know, orchestra and, and uh, orchestral music. And then also I've seen B.B. King there, which was pretty epic. But, but then to see TSO there was amazing. And I was wearing a Dr. Butcher shirt, and Paul O'Neill noticed that. He came out and talked to us, grabbed us, like brought us around.
2: Yeah, we get to meet um, Al Petrulli. No. Brought us to
0: hang out with Al, brought us to hang out uh, with Johnny Lee. And um, he wrote up like this long story in my um, uh, the program that came with uh, the TSO stuff. And he just like, you know, Marco went backstage, drank Al under the table. It was like, so it was just a magical night. And like, you know, he you could just tell he did that sort of thing, you know, for people all the time. It was just epic. Like, we'll never forget that.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's definitely one of these things where I think if Paul had produced the butcher record, I don't think there would have been as much swearing. And you know, <laughs> you know lyrically he would have went to a more intelligent like historical side than to where me and John went with kind of like the off the cuff and, and thing. I don't think John would have wrote the I mean Paul would have wanted the lyrics for the altar and, and some of that <laughs> stuff to, to be the way they were. We we were kind of really on the edge with the, if you think about butcher it's like marilyn manson hadn't happened yet you know alice cooper had kind of fallen completely out out of the scene i mean yeah. he did special forces in the early 80s but i mean through the late 80s into 90s it's like cooper pretty much you know he had poison but you know he pretty much disappeared from being alice you know he yeah. wasn't really i mean you watch some of those old interviews with alice cooper and he was twisted that guy was crazy. he was and he's yeah awesome. you watch he exactly, for a while almost became sort of like the, that character the, that was Alice that was him he <laughs> it was so that was so deep and but I mean there really wasn't a lot like that yet I mean yeah and I think Butcher was would have been ahead of its time kind of in that whole you know Marilyn Manson court kind of dark you know, with the, the theatrical, even before like White Zombie, Rob Zombie, that, that theater thing, because we were doing shows in Florida and we had a butcher guy come on stage and, you know, we we put John in an electric chair <laughs> and things like that. So we were going to go through with that whole thing. And it just, you know, it kind of had a, it, it had a halt happen with it. You know, I think Paul needed John to work on some of the Romanoff and Broadway stuff. And then, when Chris passed away, John went and really, you know, put a lot of his personal attention into doing and handful of rain and just kind of, you know, get over, getting over the fact that his brother had passed, but butcher definitely, you know, it was a really fun concept and idea that I, I, I definitely think could have all these things, like I said, they could have done different and had different results in them because they're all great music and all good ideas. It's just kind of things that, you know, went to a a record one which is a big reason also when people when Frontiers said do you want to do the next Spirits of Fire record I was like yeah because I didn't want to have just the first Spirits of Fire record done and then it would have been another one of these things well oh yeah you did that you know and it's like yeah because I did one Metallium record and I did one Spirits of Fire record and I did one Dr. Butcher record I'm like you know I didn't want to be like Johnny One-Shot you know yeah Let me try to do this again. I actually, you know, I like the first spirits of fire record, but I think as a whole, it could have been a better record. So I, I wanted to kind of outdo the first one a little bit musically. And I put a lot of effort into the guitar on it and did it more like a guitar player. I think that this time and that, that was that, but um, yeah, a lot of, like I said, a lot of these things you might've seen in, in, in different, places as time went by if the the different efforts were put in from top to bottom on what they needed to do to happen
0: i think the the quote that i remember getting thrown around was like dr butcher was over like 10 bottles of jack daniels
1: you know what's (laughs) funny with that john was that a sabotage and i'm not going to go through that whole story but um it's funny because there's so many different sabotage the history of sabotage has got like 18 different versions of that. <laughs> yeah i don't even want to give the, the actuals because I, I confuse people but um <laughs> but john was um down in florida and i stopped working with my brother so here we are we both stopped working with our brothers and i just flew down there and hung out with him. I was like, I need to get the hell out of New York. And he's like, come on down here. So we went into like Zephyr Hills, New York or one of his Florida, one of his friends places in Redneck, Florida, in the middle of nowhere. And his friend didn't have a car. John didn't have a car. His friend had a car, but his friend had a broken arm. And I didn't have a car. I flew down there. So we're all just living in this guy's little redneck house in the middle of nowhere. And we would just send taxi cabs to the liquor store to bring us back, Jack 10. We didn't go, we'd call the taxi company and we'd be like, Can you go to the drive store You, you invented sort us of us like the Daniels so that liquor's you were tax- onto something there with the business model. I think that's hot now, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the, the liquor was getting delivered and we were writing songs and and. I think the the first song that um we wrote was a song that was called Live Die Kill. We were calling it LDK. And actually the the verses of that song I wound up putting into the song beat me the on the, the warped record where it says war and hatred environments and danger. That those melodies in that verse were Aliva's and those riffs were mine. And that that was actually the very first Dr. Butcher song. And it was a really really heavy tune the chorus is not anything that's ever been used and we wrote that and we wrote inspector highway that song came, got came together and then i think the altar it happened and we recorded a few little four tracks eight tracks whatever it was you had at the time and those little multi-track cassette recordings and you know oliva's voice magically returned you know from the the high end and everything and i remember when we first played the demo of of that to chris he was like you dick how come you can't you couldn't sing like that for me anymore and it was just kind of funny and then chris had actually at that point in time which nobody knows chris seriously almost disbanded sabotage to do butcher which nobody knows that part of that that history it's like we talked about it but they still had the atlantic deal and i i don't think he'd gotten zach yet and then zachary appeared and and then paul put and chris and johnny they put the effort into making edge of thorns happen and john had helped them write that album and that but at that point in time it was actually a point where you know dr butcher may have been the oliva brothers and me doing that which would have been going back to that really ultra ultra heavy sabotage thing Under a different name, which is kind of another part of of how history could have went a different way, you know. And Chris had actually asked me to. Chris asked me to to join back into sabotage with him for Edge of Thorns, and I didn't want to leave John. I was like, "I, I don't want to. I can't leave your brother. You know, I don't want to do that to him. And um, you know, I stuck with John, and unfortunately, Chris had passed away. So, you know, I would have I would have had that missing time with Chris if I would have taken that that path as well, but. You know that uh, it just happened to be the way things went down at that time. Yeah the uh, the next track that I'm cranking for the the,
0: the uh, playlist is upon the knee. This is from the Jester's Court. Um, what uh, what comes to mind with that record?
1: Well, you know the funny thing about that song is, I mean, I had no idea just how. Well, you kind of knew, but you didn't know how divided this country can get the united states can get and when i saw the whole kneeling during the national anthem thing there was a lot of things that bothered me about what was going on with that i you know believe everybody has their rights for their freedom but there was there was a a military salute game going on for the i believe it was the chargers versus if Kaepernick was still with the 49ers at that time and it was like a military day and there was all these soldiers that were holding the American flag and he still did the knee thing and the knee thing was supposedly when his initial thing was supposed to be against police you know it was a he was wearing his pig socks or whatever it was he was doing and it was just something to me about you know the military of our country those people fight every day and would fight every day and with with you know so do the police but people tend to get into a different argument about that altogether and i'm not even going to get a that my initial reason for writing upon the knee was the fact that i like i said flag draped in your blood and your blood and you take the knee and it's like that was kind of like you know there was a lot of soldiers that had died and were brought home to America wrapped in that American flag you know because you have people that burn the flag and people that just so that was my my song when I I wrote that that was really it wasn't necessarily going against anybody having their own political or personal views or protests it was more or less like okay but there's a time and place for everything and I didn't think that you know, the military people were ones that any of this should ever be put against. Because I think that, you know, that's one thing and I thank it every day with the TSO concerts. It's, you know, every single member, past, present and future of our United States Army and Navy military because they protect our lives and our and our freedom. And and, and I just thought that that, you know, that made that particular time one not so that I was like, and it kind of bothered me. So I wrote the On the Knee song, but it was weird because it was the first time I actually had people go and argue with me about <laughs> that song was messed up. And I was like, wow, I didn't really think that 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 went that way. And then you watched how things happened in this country and how we went in so many different directions with, you know, George Floyd and with COVID and with this and with that and with Republican and Democrat and and it was just kind of like, wow, that I started being like, God, this country is so incredibly divided, which I had written songs with some politics and things inside of them. And I think on my next solo record for sure, I'm not, you know, because I'm so heartbroken watching everybody rip each other apart that i don't want to add any more fuel into that fire yeah everybody everybody had so much time to themselves to do exactly what we're doing and to be looking at people's opinions and ideas and being stuck on the computer and arguing and everybody became a TV newscaster and and an expert. Uh, Yeah,
0: to be honest, like, I I love that track. And I didn't even know the inspiration. Like, it's one of those things, like a metal song. You can just take so much, like, your own vision of what is going on here. And I didn't even know, I wasn't even aware of that. But what I was
1: The main thing was when it says the flag draped on his blood and you take, it was basically talking about the the number of people that had been wrapped in those (laughs) flags and, flown back home after war. And it was just kind of like, you know, my whole thing is, you know, don't, don't disrespect that. And I think the people that were arguing with me with, with that, they read into it just onto being like, you know, I have a one-sided view on not letting people express what they think. And what that's what I love about this format particular, like we
0: do with our program is, like, we don't say, you know, we're not going to not talk about anything. We're, we'll talk about whatever comes yeah. up. And when people actually get a, a chance to well, sit I, down just like I, said, and I listen I, to each other, it's it's a lot different than, like, the sound bite or what you get to say on, you know, FM radio, like, we got the next track here. This is, uh, you know, fuck you to all the people protesting. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, that, you know, I, I like I said, I came to the point where I'm not even, I don't even really want to write about it. I wrote that Sick of this shit song, you know, basically being writing about that, you know, about people's Facebook knowledges and and I just got so tired of listening to everybody being an expert. And there was a lot of things that I learned and studied in the midst of all this that I knew people were 100% wrong on and I would watch and listen and, and be like, I can't you can't argue, you know, because there was always somebody that's always, nowadays, it always has to disagree with what you say. And I think they, what I learned is they enjoy that. They want you to go against it. They want the people with you to go against them so they can battle back. And there's some people that are actually that, that, um, I don't know if the word is bored or if that's what they <laughs> that they enjoy. Yeah, the, the, I think they, they don't have the, some the, sort the, of better those, happy. Wars, those, those little wars, people enjoy that, and it's like I don't enjoy the argument. I was taught by my my first managers ever was David Krebs, and he was a very 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 smart businessman and smart person, and and he he would come up to me and be like, "Do you read the New York Times?" and this and that. he goes, "You should read that every day and read this every day and and he would sit there and tell me how he thought that knowledge was power. And I think he taught that whole, you know, Paul was very educated too, but he he made, you know, a lot of where everybody kind of went on this thing where we always like to know, you know, what you're talking about before you say it. So I always always trying to make sure I would learn and, and study and know as much as what I would write things about. You know, I studied a lot about, the Iraq War before I wrote the warped record. There was a lot of things I learned because I had, you know, Greek landlords and people I was living with in a story at that time, and they had satellite news that was going into like Al Jazeera and all these other things around the world that we weren't seeing at all on the US news. So I was piecing together that war and writing that record and, and doing a lot of things. That's where songs like Sodomize came out and some of these things that got, a, you know, pretty political to how the war was. You know programming people at that point in time and that's why that record cover shows the businessman the faces businessman with the golden machine gun it's like you know because wars in, in a lot of places is, is, is a business and that's I mean, kind of what that whole record was about was not even you know about the the war itself but the whole concept of the business of war and a lot of money is made off of war. You know, you didn't, you don't see the stock market going down right now, really. And still middle. is, yeah. There's a lot of companies that are making a boatload of money off of off a war. It's like, it's just kind of crazy, you know. And you think about it when this whole thing is said and done, the construction companies and everything, there's just, it's crazy. You know, somebody right now is making a freaking bullet and they're going to make money off of it. It's, yeah. it's going to be that's going to be used to take somebody's life but they're going to be putting some money in their pocket so it's kind of you know i i had written that record about the business of war yeah i
2: think i I think it's funny all my years being metalhead it's uh you know we get typecasts for from you know the outside we can look like we're one thing but it's actually one of the most welcoming communities i've been a part of um the most welcoming community in this you know, we're all able to share these ideas, write these songs, we get these uh, thoughts and emotions out and say what we want to say. But then we also listen. And um, so, yeah, that's the, the amazing power of heavy metal and rock music, I think, is just being able to, we can yeah. all say oh, these yeah. things. Plus, you can play a show
0: to people in bosnia or ukraine or russia and look out there and everybody's having a good time and then not quite understand why they're shooting each other at another you know another point in time not too far off
1: well that was also something that you know paul was so educated on war and you know we wrote a whole record on the bosnian war with what David, yeah. and, and um you know i saw when we went and toured Europe for the first time with Sabotage when I was back in the band, how, you know, when kids came to see us from the Middle East and 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 from those countries that were in other wars, that how important Paul's lyrics were to people, you know, he really hit people a lot in the heart about because Paul really was writing about, you know, pretty deeply about how these, you know, wars were basically ripping people's lives apart and then you know how people were coming together from different sides and and you know because I I you know people people don't want to sit there and kill each other I mean it's it's we put we get put in those wars against each other and it's, and it's kind of one of these things where it's it, it's really sad you know and of course everybody says they'd hope that there always never be a war but even when I wrote the war record that when i wrote that album at that point in time i think there was like at least 30 different wars going on in the world at that time at some yeah. point somewhere there was you know so there was people killing each other 30 different places on the planet and i'm just like you know human beings we got we got a lot to learn. I don't know. I just hope we learn them before we wipe each other out. That's all. When it gets
0: filtered through like a few channels, there's people take, they're like, Oh, we didn't even know there was a war
1: going on in in that part of the world. (laughs) You look at what happens in Northern Africa and and there's, there's people that, that are dying all the time. And it's a lot of places, a lot more than what gets highlighted in some of the ones that wind up on your news channels. Like it's, you know, the only war the only thing time that's ever happened and you know if you look at the actual numbers what it had happened in that bosnian war i mean so many people had died and and you know there was there was i don't think we we paid nearly as much attention to that war as we are to this one right now i mean that the yeah, bosnian war wasn't for if it wasn't for dead winter dead and paul and and i don't you know really know how much knowledge of that war I actually would have had, you know. Uh, Eric Eric and
0: I grew up here in in Des Moines, Iowa. He's in California now, but I'm still in in Des Moines, Mm -hmm. Iowa. And we we have a large Bosnian population. So I went to school growing up with people that had seen, you know, some brutal brutal things like a lot of people came to this specific location from that war so i had like an early uh kind of lesson from from actually from people that had seen all that shit so it was it's definitely it's it's weird to to
1: yeah well in 95 we didn't have you know computers were just starting at about you know 96 97 yeah this would have been about but, you know, so about you really then. Didn't have- you didn't really have any internet and your cable TV wasn't the same. And, you know, you definitely didn't have all the, the, um, the news channels that we have through the net right now. So that was just one of these wars that we really did not know nearly as much as we do about what's going on in, in the Ukraine every second of our lives when you turn on the television right now. So it's, it's, uh, I think we've all got so much more, knowledge of not that we would ever turn our our backs or our faces or to, to what was going on but we just never really saw it i don't know why like i was i would sit there and ask people i wonder why that that war never really because you saw it occasionally they would mention that the war was going on in, in the news but in, they never really focused on that war and i don't even think you know it, it took a very long time for for even outside forces to get involved to stop that one so it just was one of those things so we had that dead Winter dead record and it was really meaningful for a lot of people that abandoned and put that that time and that attention into that you know and paul you know he he probably would have us doing a concert tomorrow in in odessa you know (laughs) we'd be over there tomorrow doing dead Winter dead live in the ukraine on a back (laughs) somewhere, trying to make peace because that's just the way he was i know the day after or the month after nine eleven, we were supposed to tour europe with sabotage and paul's like we're gonna go we're gonna go and nobody wanted to fly at that time and i was like let's go but i know that, that johnny and and oliva Oliva's like i'm gonna go on an airplane we moved that tour into I think it was February in Europe. And I was like, look, this is going to be the safest time ever to fly because 9-11 just happened. So if they're ever going to (laughs) be trying to find another bunch of people that are going to do that. So a plane is going to be right now. I'm like, this is the safest time. Not the sad thing to say, but it would have been the time to go. And and it's kind of a bummer to me because that was a tour with symphony X and we never toured with, with them. And I didn't even really know Russell yet. And we, We canceled that tour and moved it but it uh it definitely it slowed that's actually slowed a lot of things down with sabotage too and and, um who knows what that whole thing might have had to do with the fact that the next sabotage record never happened you know if we would have finished that tour in that fall we might have been working on the new sabotage record in that next winter instead of going back over to finish the touring we didn't do so you never know. Yeah, we'll, we'll Like I weave. said, more of those what ifs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll weave into
0: the next track that we're going to drop the needle on. It's from The Wake of Magellan. And this is Blackjack Golatine. And if I remember correctly, this is a song you, you were in the writing process on.
1: Yeah, actually, the uh, most of the music in that uh, song is written by me. The, that song was one that was actually written as a butcher song too and john that must
0: be why that's one of my favorite tracks on that john had a
1: different different melody for the verses of that paul wrote the lyrics and the melodies for that song that you hear john had a different lyric for that song's verses and then there's that one riff that has the vocals following all those guitar notes and that was always the biggest pain in the neck for everybody to learn because it's not like it's super difficult it was just a lot of notes and it keeps changing so getting people to remember it I remember that uh, it was one of those ones that took a little bit of time to stick into people's heads and then Paul the Paul loved to have those songs have guitar solos and long ride outs so I think it which it might have been train a rolling or something like Aerosmith had had that on one of their things and he always loved that so he wanted that to go on for that song you know i think on that record there turns to me did that at the end and so did this one with that and and he kind of paul he would write singing you out riffs so i think i had a river yeah, uh, i had a riff for a, i had a riff for a ride out and then he was like, no, it would be something like So that's kind of where that came from, exactly from him singing that line to me like that. One and then minute. I I put in the um, to changing into the I mean, but the initial that was sung to me by Paul, like singing it to me and then I you know mixed it up and putting all the changes into it but that's how that that's how that was written
0: awesome and yeah the uh, rolling on the, the next one i'm cranking is sabotage with drive this one from poets and madman
1: all right drive is is another song that i i wrote every note of music in that song that one was definitely every note of, of music was was me and, and paul and john wrote the lyrics and, and melodies for that one. I think the, um, John had a lot of the ideas for the, the melodies in the stop part, which is, you know, and Paul of course had the lyrics, but Drive is, was a really fun live song, but that Drive was one that I had, definitely I wasn't writing a, a, a butcher song for, I was just writing something that was up. I think that was the idea of that, was to have a really up kind of metal song for that record. But Drive is definitely, um. A song that i wrote all the music for on on that record
0: excellent uh you know actually to to go back to what we were talking about the uh, so who, what i did see is i saw that jack osborne actually went is has i think he's in ukraine right now um so that was kind of interesting i guess ozzy yeah, raised, I thought, like, raised a good a good son there he's doing real shit and uh um and then uh doro uh has played i think either has a concert planned or has already done a concert i know you've crossed paths with, yeah, with I her think, a few um, times
1: i think she's doing a benefit concert the first week of april over there Just yeah to- it's coming up yeah i think hers is the first week of april
0: awesome yeah that that she always seemed like you know a very special person in terms of you know really Wanted to be in the the thick of what's going on with her fans and and the fans around the world.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard for me with a lot of what's happened over the last three years or especially the last two years, you know, when, when I had questions about a lot of these subjects, I would call Paul because he was so knowledgeable and he would really channel my brain with tons and tons and tons of, of information and he would be reading constantly and and going through every news outlet and every, every angle of every story. And, you know, even with the COVID thing, or even to what would be going on with this war in Ukraine, I would love to be able to call him to talk to him. It's it's hard because you know, he was like I said, he, he was kind of Paul was, you know, he was like a dad and a big brother and a lot of different things all in one to me, but I don't have that. And the first time, obviously, that I realized that was when Paul passed, because you know I would normally my own father passed, I call Paul. When Paul passed, I couldn't call Paul. You know, so it was like the first time I'm like, "Fuck, who do I call?" You know, it was like, "What do I call to talk to Paul about Paul?" It's like I, it was one of these things. So I, I on my last solo record, I I really wrote a lot of. A lot of music inspired by him, and and I think a lot of times when I'm writing music now, I I try to see if I could make it better in ways to think what you know he would be impressed with if he heard the the finished product of it. Yeah, so
0: I, wanna, I I really I, think so. I I
1: songs, I I try to make them at a what I, I like to consider a Paul level because he he didn't really you know over push us in a lot of different ways but he would be in the studio and we could have a solo or a part that easily could make the record and a lot of times it did but he would sit there and go well that's great why don't you try something completely different and it wouldn't even nine out of ten times you'd wind up using what you had but one out of ten times you'd wind up getting something that you never thought would even come out and that was kind of one of the genius things about him too where he would he would try to get us always to pull the best thing we can get out of ourselves. And I, I like to do that with my writing now too. It's like, I'll come up with parts and changes and things and, and kind of throw it in there you know, to give that little bit of a swing to it.
0: Yeah. I think that's a amazing place to, to land the plane here on a heavy radio 53 and uh, you know, we'll all raise our glasses to the, the memories of Paul O'Neill and all the great music and the TSO tours yet to come it's become you know kind of a a holiday (laughs) institution yeah and um, yeah yeah, to y'all raise it up for Paul and uh, the uh, lots of amazing music that will live on people haven't even begun to uh, dig into some of the genius I think that that has been on display that you guys have been a part of for so long and um, we're still cranking that embrace the unknown constantly it's a great record check it out if, if you haven't go purchase that um, spirits of fire embrace the unknown there's a lot of heavy metal majesty to dig into there and um, we're definitely looking forward to the the next solo record uh, from just chris caffrey and it's been an honor chatting with you there's so much more we could dig into you're welcome anytime and it's been great uh, when, we get, when i get in the
1: middle of, of recording maybe i'll throw some samples out and see where i'm at i got a couple couple things that I'm, I'm punching my way through and and once i get into a groove that's when i know what i have that i'm going to use and what i may be missing and then i'll get more of that but my goal is to try to have you know most of this record written by june and then try to get the tracks done and 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 have it you know mixed maybe by the end of the summer into the fall and try to see if i can maybe get at least the digital version of it released by by november but we'll see we'll see if yeah. I stay, my my own schedule one of the the positive
0: sides of things about the
1: internet is you know we still get
0: on here and we see people commenting on dr butcher from from all over the planet like still to this day they're digging into that that record and that music and um yeah whether it's your solo record that's gonna have the spirit, or something that could a blessing that drops down from sabotage or John, um, you know, we'll definitely be cranking it, and we'll be thrilled to to hear it. Awesome, sure.
1: well, thank you guys, and uh, have a great rest of your night, and we'll talk yeah. soon.
0: Hell Thanks yeah, thank you, Chris. Heavy Radio fifty three, crank it,
1: right. awesome.